Hi there, my name is Pete. This is Social Distance. So welcome to episode 224. And it's been an incredible week. This is basically the week where the UAPs, the UFOs, went mainstream, went everywhere because of 60 Minutes and Barack Obama helped, didn't he? Yeah, by saying this. What is true, uh, and I'm, I'm actually being serious here, is, is that uh, there are... Uh, there's footage and records of objects in the skies that we don't know exactly what they are. We can't explain uh, how they moved, their trajectory. Uh, they, they did not have um, an easily explainable pattern. And so, you know, I, th- I think that we're st- uh, people still take seriously trying to investigate and figure out what that is. So that was packaged in between jokes, you know, a bit of a kind of joke sandwich there, but he wanted to say it and, you know, he clearly kind of pointed out that it was a serious thing, which is really interesting. But also you could see that he was um, passing his words and choosing his words incredibly carefully. And obviously if something like that happens, you know, a former president of the United States says things like that, then it's going to make headlines around the world, and it did. So you will be under no illusions, and it won't surprise you not at wet that I will be focusing on this after the outro music in a big way. But before that, we're going to look at the India uh, variant and uh, various other kind of things rumbling on in... The government, so welcome aboard. Have you ever seen the sunshine? No, not pork. Sunshine. I didn't say pork. I know you've seen pork. Is that sunshine? Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look and you'll see into your imagination We'll begin with a spin Traveling in the world of my creation What we'll see will defy Explanation So the India variant is growing in the uh, United Kingdom and there's areas of the United Kingdom where, um, you know, COVID-19, fueled by the India variant, cases are going up. Um, But uh, as a kind of nation as a whole, and um, looking at the England data especially, things are flat and that's because there are um, you know massive parts of uh, England, Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland where things are still going down Um, so the relationship that we need to think about in terms of cases and vaccines and you know hospitalizations and deaths is totally changed because of the vaccines and uh, today we've got new evidence that 
the vaccine does work on the India variant. So this is a um, quote by Susan Hopkins, Dr. Susan Hopkins, who's the COVID-19 Strategic Response Director for Public Health England. She says, we've now got early evidence that the vaccine protects against the India variant. That's really good news. What we are now saying is push the second dose and get as many people vaccinated as possible. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because we do know that after two doses, two weeks after two doses, you are in a good place in terms of the Pfizer and the AstraZeneca vaccine. 88% for the Pfizer. And AstraZeneca is a bit lower than that, but they think that it's because it hasn't been rolled out as much as the Pfizer one because they started later, if that makes sense. So, you know, proportionally more people have been dosed up uh, twice on on the uh, Pfizer vaccine. Now, um, it's, it's looking good. Over 41%, nearly 42% of people um, in the UK above the age of 18 have been vaccinated twice. 71% have been vaccinated once. But they've also got this very good new um, thing. When you look at your kind of your local, um, you know, your local information on the UK COVID-19 website, you can enter your postcode. And that now, I think from today, I've never seen it before, um, shows local data. So for my local area here in Devon, 48% of people have been vaccinated twice, which is incredible. And the reason is because old people live in Devon, you know, even older than me. So all the old people kind of skew the national average up a little bit. Um, so 48% vaccinated twice. 40, uh, 76% vaccinated once in Devon and on a kind of national UK picture everything that matters is still going down so the cases are going up but you know it's not too much to worry about in terms of if the India variant obviously you know kind of beats the is beaten by the vaccine then obviously it's a total game changer shall I say obviously again sound like a bloody footballer but you know deaths are still going down down um, from last last seven days patients admitted into hospital are down um, from last seven days so it's all going down the only thing that's going up is cases but like I keep bloody saying well you know I don't need to say it again now um, the India variant obviously we're going to kind of track this because this is um, Dr. Gupta, who's based in uh, at Cambridge University, Professor Ravi Gupta. Here he's talking to Independent Sage on Friday, and he does say that it is going to become exponential. The, the growth of the India variant in the UK is going to be exponential. So here he is. I think we're going to see the same thing in the UK, that, that there is a small it's a small beginning. I think that these large uh, initial clusters, as you say, are related to, um, uh, they may be demographically related, they may be due to, you know, seeding in particular types of uh, individuals or, or communities, but there will be, there is already community spread and it is going to exponentially rise. There is no doubt. We still have, um, you know, people under, under the age of 30 not vaccinated. We have many people with only one dose. 
So this virus has plenty of space to expand exponentially uh, and reach very high levels of infection with quite high levels of, of morbidity overall, because there may be small percentages uh, give, because you're young or you know you're partially vaccinated, but there, you know there, there will be some fallout from this. So the point being there is, if you haven't had two vaccines, you know you still need to be careful. I mean, I'm still wearing a mask at work, you know, and I'm the only one that is. Basically, there's a couple of people that do, but um, you know, <laughs> I am going to be wearing a mask for the foreseeable future if I'm around and obviously I know that there's a very good chance mathematically that if I'm unfortunate enough to get COVID-19 I'm not going to be hospitalized and I'm not going to die but they're pretty big stakes you know what I mean like I might as well just put a fucking mask on my face and then there's other things as well so that so you know wear a mask if you can't socially distance from people inside make sure the windows are open and the main thing is if you're lucky enough to live in a country where they're giving out vaccines for free get a bloody vaccine get it as quick as you can don't worry about whether it's Moderna or AstraZeneca or Johnson Johnson or whatever it is the chances are no matter what age you are you are going to be safer with the vaccine in you unless you've got some weird allergy that obviously you're going to know about but the general advice of course is to get the vaccine as quickly as possible and thank you know yourself and God and everyone and thank fuck that you live in a country where you can get the bloody vaccine because there's you know literally billions of people that can't get the vaccine so you know get the vaccine and uh, also though when you do have the vaccine don't just obviously think oh that's that fucking word again think um you know let's go to sweats nightclub you've still got to you know kind of take care of yourself and watch out for yourself and you know put the things in place to make sure that you are going to be safe safe that's the safe word <laughs> safe Don't tell me I don't work hard. Don't tell me I don't have the hope of tough chops of that life. So no surprise, the government, who was very uh, reluctantly, agreed to put the uh, masks on the faces of the children in secondary schools in the UK. Um, and wanted those masks to come off as soon as possible because I don't know why, I mean, I really don't, I can't get my head around that. Um, but I imagine that they're getting, you know, letters and emails from their Tory voters saying it's unbelievable that in this day and age my child should be asked to wear a mask so uh, to lessen the chances of them contracting a virus that is airborne. <laughs> um, anyway, so they they lifted the mask uh, thing on Monday, and you know now the Observer have got a really interesting story saying that they basically number ten. It looks like number ten took out a a page of data showing in the India variant in schools from a report by Public Health England. So when this Public Health England report was published a couple of weeks ago, it didn't 
no it wasn't a couple of weeks ago it was just last last week last thursday it didn't include this um the, this page yeah so and then the following monday so that was thursday the 13th and the following monday the 17th that was the day that the kids went back to school without the masks on so it obviously you know suggests christ that's that why well, i really am so sorry that I keep saying, or I'm really sorry that I keep saying the, the O word, um, but it suggests that, you know, the data that still hasn't been published, so we don't know what it says, but it obviously suggests that it's... Oh, Christ, I said it again. What the hell is wrong with me? It suggests that it wasn't great. And Christina Pagel says it feels like bad news that we're not being told. There is a narrative that schools are safe, but the data clearly shows this variant can and does spread in schools. Well, obviously. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm, I, listen, I, I'm really sorry. If I say it again, um, well, there's nothing you can do. Well, you can stop listening, I guess, but you can do that anyway. Uh, two weeks ago... <laughs> The Singaporean health minister closed schools because of the risk of greater spread in children with this variant. Parents, teachers and children just need... Fucking goes on, doesn't she? Anyway, that's good. You get the gist. Christ. <laughs> Picture yourself on a train in a station with plasticine porters, with looking glass ties. Suddenly... Someone is there at the turnstile. A girl with kaleidoscope Dominic Cummings has confirmed what we knew all along, and I've bloody, you know, live um, podded it at the time, that the government had a herd immunity strategy, and, uh, you know, you can go back and listen to the relevant uh, episodes, you know, we're talking about uh, the spring into the summer uh, last year. Um, essentially what Cummings is saying is that it was government policy up until the beginning of March that the way they would tackle COVID-19 was herd immunity um, until September. I mean, it's unbelievable, you know. But then the thing that changed their mind was, well, we know this. I mean, we all know this. The, the interesting thing, of course, is that Cummings is kind of, you know, stabbing his mates in the old back. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that Cummings does, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, herd immunity, it's just, it, it, it's extraordinary the number of people that have died in the UK uh, because of the utter, ridiculous failures of this government, you know? And even in September, um, fucking Rishi Sunak and Sausage Johnson was meeting people that thought that herd immunity was a good idea, you know, even in September. So we know this, it's all kind of been reported on and on the record. And, um, you know, it fucking stinks. 
So even though things are quite good now in terms of COVID-19, it still is, you know, an appalling, utter tragedy that just so happens to correspond where we've got the the most incompetent person imaginable as the Prime Minister at the same time as the worst pandemic for a hundred years. I mean, how unlucky is that? You know, in the States as well, you know, a fucking uh, clown. I mean, (laughs) yeah. Episode 224. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend if it is the weekend. And take care of yourselves. Get your vaccines if you can get the vaccines. Make sure that you, you know, do all the things that we expect to do. Now, we're going to think of the dire wolf, the dire wolf that died out 13,000 years ago, but was seen at um, Skinwalker Ranch, unbelievably extraordinary. And talking about that, we've got Paranormal Blip coming up. What on the show it is. Yeah, extraordinary. Um, historic Paranormal Blip coming up. And, um, yeah, so listen. Right, one, two, three. Walk between the raindrops. <laughs> Take care of yourselves. Thanks for listening. Do all the things that you expect me to say this time. See you later. That music can only mean that it is Paranormal Blip and we have got an incredible Paranormal Blip because of 60 Minutes. Last week 60 Minutes came and it was extraordinary. I'm going to get... uh, First of all, there's a link um, along with the show notes... So watch it if you haven't seen it. It's a link to their kind of entire section on YouTube and it's been seen something like six million times or something like that. Um, But here is a kind of edited together version of the, from my point of view, the most important bits. So what you're telling me is that UFOs, unidentified flying objects, are real. Bill, I think we're beyond that already. The government has already stated for the record that they're real. I'm not telling you that. The United States government is telling you that. We're not just simply jumping to a conclusion that's saying, oh, that's a UAP out there. 
We're going through our due diligence. Is it some sort of new type of cruise missile technology that China has developed? Is it some sort of high-altitude balloon that's conducting reconnaissance? Ultimately, when you have exhausted all those what-ifs and you're still left with, with the fact that this is in our airspace and it's real, that's when it becomes compelling and that's when it becomes problematic. The Pentagon confirms these are images of objects it can't identify. Lieutenant Graves told us pilots training off the Atlantic coast see things like that all the time. Every day. Every day for at least a couple of years. Um, wait, wait a minute. Every day for a couple of years? Mm -hmm. The government has ignored it, at least publicly, since closing its Project Blue Book investigation in 1969. But that began to change after an incident off Southern California in 2004, which was documented by radar, by camera, and four naval aviators. We spoke to two of them, David Fravor, a graduate of the Top Gun Naval Flight School and commander of the F-18 squadron on the USS Nimitz, and flying at his wing, Lieutenant Alex Dietrich, who has never spoken publicly about the encounter. I never wanted to be on national TV. <laughs> no offense. So why are you doing this? Because I was in a government aircraft, because I was on the clock, and so I feel a responsibility to, to share what I can, and it is unclassified. It was November 2004, and the USS Nimitz Carrier Strike Group was training about 100 miles southwest of San Diego. For a week, the advanced new radar on a nearby ship, the USS Princeton, had detected what operators called multiple anomalous aerial vehicles over the horizon, descending 80,000 feet in less than a second. On November 14th, Fravor and Dietrich, each with a weapons system officer in the back seat, were diverted to investigate. They found an area of roiling whitewater the size of a 737 in an otherwise calm blue sea. So as we're looking at this, her backseater says, hey, Skipper, do you? And about that got out, I said, dude, do you, do you see that thing down there? And we saw this little white tic-tac-looking object and it's just kind of moving above the whitewater area. As Dietrich circled above, Fravor went in for a closer look. So you're sort of spiraling down? Yep. The tic-tac still pointing north-south. It goes and just turns abruptly and starts mirroring me. So as I'm coming down, it starts coming up. So it's, it's mimicking your moves. Yeah, it was aware we were there. He said it was about the size of his F-18, with no markings, no wings, no exhaust plumes. I want to see how close I can get. So I go like this, and it's climbing still. And when it gets right in front of me, it just disappears. Disappears? Disappears. Like gone. It had sped off. What are you thinking? So your, your mind tries to make sense of it. I'm going to categorize this as maybe a helicopter or <laughs> maybe a drone. And when it disappeared, I mean, it was just. Did your backseaters see this too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was four of us in the airplanes literally watching this thing for roughly about five minutes. Seconds later, the Princeton reacquired the target, 60 miles away. Another crew managed to briefly lock onto it with a targeting camera before it zipped off again. You know, I think that over beers, we've sort of said, hey man, if I saw this solo, I don't know that I would have come back and said anything because it sounds so crazy when I say it. You understand that reaction? I do. We've had some People tell me, you know, when you say that, you can sound crazy. And I'll be honest, I'm not a UFO guy. But 
from what I hear you guys saying, there's something. Yes. Oh, there's, there's definitely something that, I don't know who's building it, who's got the technology, who's got the brains, but there's, there's something out there that was better than our airplane. So there it is, and it's definitely worth watching the entire thing, so go to the link if you're interested in that. And so Alex Dietrich, she uh, did this interview. She's spoken to the press, like I think she did a, a, a TV show once. So she told this story once, but that was anonymously. So nobody knew who she was. People are very familiar with the story because the other guy, David Fravor, has been around a lot and it's really easy to find kind of footage of him talking about that story. So people that know about UFOs, you know, kind of know that story really well. Um, but to hear um, Lieutenant Commander Dietrich's, uh, you know, version of events and, you know, what happened from her point of view was extraordinary. Nobody was, um, you know, expecting that. So it was brilliant to hear that. And then she joined Twitter on Monday and she started to, as you can imagine, she was inundated with the press um, requests and she started to talk to people. She talked to Anderson Cooper, a very good interview. And she spoke to a local radio reporter um, out of San Diego. And this was, she said, you know, of all of the requests I've been you know, offers to talk and, you know, who to kind of talk to. I chose San Diego because I'm doing this basically to say, if you see it, say it, say that you've seen it. So if you're flying out of San Diego as a kind of, you know, private citizen, if you're a mariner, as she put it, um, and you see something in the air, then report it. And this is a whole kind of thing. And you can tell the kind of tension in her voice. She's not as kind of easy... Um, speaking about this thing as David Favor, for instance, um, uh, you know. So we'll see that where that goes with um, Lieutenant Commander Dietrich. And hopefully she will do some, you know, interviews in the future. But it's, it, it, you know, she doesn't like the spotlight, basically, is what I'm saying. I think that she doesn't feel particularly comfortable. Um, but she also knows that, you know, because of kind of circumstances, She's in this extraordinary position. And I think that UFO Twitter, as it's known, has been incredibly welcoming. I mean, obviously, you know, she's like for ages, nobody knew who she was, you know, and then suddenly she turns up on 60 Minutes and then she joins Twitter. Do you know what I mean? So they're loving it, you know. Um, but it, really fascinating. And, and what Ryan Graves said as well, that he saw, saw all these things um, you know, every day for a couple of years. And he did a really good interview um, quite a while ago now, in December 2019, with somebody, I can't remember who, but it was a good interview, which is easy to find. And um, he said that, you know, for the first six months, every day they'd see these, like, UAPs in the sky. And for the first six months, they kind of thought, well, you know, it must be something else. And then, it, like, for six months... They were thinking, okay, well, maybe we need to start reporting these things because there was a, like, essentially a kind of near miss, you know, like a near collision with a, a kind of colleague of his in a fighter jet. So these are, you know, the thing about these um, incidents or these events is that when fighter jets practice, obviously you're not allowed to go in the, <laughs> like, you know, it's quite obvious you're not allowed to go in that airspace, yeah? And it's divvied up 
So you can't even go from one airspace to another if you're kind of not working in your allocated slot, you know, your allocated kind of portion of airspace. And these things are like zipping around, you know, don't obviously not, you know, Christ, there's that word again, not staying in their kind of, you know, in any portion of airspace because they're not part of the US military and they're not, you know. So enough alarm bells went off for um, for the for the pilots, for, for Graves, Ryan Graves and the others, for them to say, well, we need to report this. But the problem was at that point, this was 2015, I think it was, at that point, there was no system in place. So it might be that his boss then went to his boss's boss and said, you know, there's every day there are UAPs in the air. Like there's UFOs in the air every single day. It might be that they said that, but there was no structural way of reporting this thing. Now that has changed. And that's changed because of the work that Lou Elizondo did at ATIP. And also because of these guys have come out and kind of like spoken about it. And that meant that there were Senate hearings and it closed door Senate hearings. And the Senate's the senators said, well, we've got to obvious like the first thing to do is to, you know, put something in place. So um, pilots and people in the Navy and anyone else working for the military, if they see this, they've got some way of reporting it. You know, what I mean, it's the first step. It really is the first step. So 60 Minutes went absolutely, you know, amazing in terms of exposure of UAPs. Obama started the show with Obama. Obama kind of added to that. They made headlines around the world, both of these, you know, kind of media events, if you like. And uh, I've got a small part to play, a small part to play, which I will uh, emphasize and promote because... You know, why not? No one else is going <laughs> to... I just so happened... So I'm in the UK, obviously. And I can't I can't exactly remember what time it was. But it was like two o'clock in the morning or something. I woke up and I realised that it was like airing live. Um, you know, 60 Minutes was airing live in, in uh, the States. So I tuned in. And I watched it live, the uh, UAP section live. And then I went on Twitter and I found that George Knapp had replied to somebody. And I got in there, you know me. I got in there and I asked George a question because George hadn't actually said what he had, you know, what he thought of, of 60 Minutes, yeah? Um, so I thought, oh, this is a good opportunity. So here's my, and you can read this at Social Distancer on, on uh, Twitter, Podcasting COVID, so at Podcasting COVID. So this is May the 17th, yeah, Monday, because it's like, you know, British time, isn't it, yeah. So um, this is what I said, right? This is how you get somebody to, this is a lesson. <laughs> a lesson to anyone that wants to interview a journalist via Twitter. That's not really an interview. It's only one question. But anyway, I'll get on that. What was your impression, Mr. Knapp? I thought it marks the defining moment in media coverage. Dietrich speaking of on the record is big and the story was very well produced. I imagine this must be a big moment for you. Congratulations, 
and thank you for years of investigating. For your years of investigating. I didn't type it twice, I just said it twice. So there you go, you've got to get your nose right up the bumhole if you want to reply. And he did reply though, and he said, it is a huge step, so he's, let's just get it, you know, say it again. George Knapp <laughs> is replying to me, yeah? <laughs> it is a huge step forward. Most Americans don't read the New York Times, Washington Post or New Yorker, as good as those publications are, but they watch 60 Minutes. This is new info to them. Even in an age where many hate the media, 60 Minutes is respected. It's big. Also, and he continues on a, on a new you know, tweet, it makes it more palatable for other media to now dive in. Hopefully 60 Minutes has learnt there is so much more to cover. Uh, they are welcome to carve out a room with the rest of us down here in the UFO rabbit hole. Yay! And so I put the yay on at the end, by the way. And so the reason why I'm going yay is because George Knapp is like writing to me saying us. Isn't that lovely? So in, so the world contains a relationship, <laughs> a relationship between me and George Knapp. Isn't that nice? I mean, you know, kind of one tweet, uh, one tweet wide relationship, but nevertheless, us. Us, he, us, like one person, us is another person. Yeah, anyway, you get the gist. So that obviously was, um, is that word again? Um, you know, received uh, very kindly or kind of generously by the people of, of Twitter. They loved George's reply there. And so, you know, what, what it tells us, all of this, is that there is a... Uh, an appetite there's an appetite for this kind of thing and the explosion the kind of mainstreamness you know trending on twitter ufos has been in the uk as well because of the telegraph did a good piece um today and so that got ufos trending on twitter after it was trending on twitter in the united states um earlier in the week and it tells us that there's a big appetite out there for you know kind of these kind of stories yeah and, but one, one thing that's interesting is this report that's coming out in a couple of, well, supposedly in a couple of weeks. Uh, people now in the last couple of days have been saying don't expect much from it. In fact, kind of don't expect, you know, anything at all really, um, which is quite interesting. And, and this funny thing happened um, yesterday where uh, Joe Biden was doing a press conference with the Prime Minister of um, South Korea. And right at the end of the press conference, he was asked his question about, you know, Barack Obama said that there are, you know, unidentified um, aerial phenomena flying around. Um, you know, what do you think about that? And Joe Biden, he basically said, um, ask him again which probably isn't very helpful for Barack Obama because he will be asked again. And then he couldn't get off the stage quick enough. He literally like forgot to take his um, transponder out, you know, his kind of um, translator thing out of his ear. And he literally left the stage and kind of walked off, you know, at the end of the press conference. 
But of course, the reason is that you don't want to bury the news story of appearing with the Prime Minister of um, South Korea by saying anything about UAPs, because then that would just be this massive story. Biden confirms, you know what I mean? Or whatever he says about it, it would be a massive story, much, much bigger than the story that he, you know, met with the Prime Minister of South Korea. So it wasn't, I don't think, I read that as, um, you know, basically it wasn't the time or the place for him to say anything about it, you know. Whether he will say something about it or not is an open question. And Lou Alessandro says that governments are very in a very, very difficult position. Basically, and I'll play the clip in a minute, basically, they can't say... Uh, you know, okay, press, right, ready? I mean, can you imagine Boris Johnson, you know, does a press conference to say, yes, there are UAPs regularly flying around military installations in the United Kingdom and other parts of, you know, the UK airspace and there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, that is not going to happen. Here's Lou saying the same thing. Well, think about, first of all, what we're, what we're asking the institution to do. And that is to admit to the American people that there's something in our skies. Again, we don't know what it is. We don't know how it works. We don't know where it's from. We don't know their intentions. And there's nothing we can do about it. For any country to say that um, is, is, is admitting that, um, that the government cannot do one of its primary functions, and that is to protect the people uh, and, and determine what a threat is. And I totally agree with... Uh, Lou Elizondo, you know, I just can't see that the government are going to open up all of their all of their secrets. Uh, nevertheless, you know, I mean, I'm not really waiting for that because the conversation is still happening. It's still out there, you know. And another thing Lou says is that, you know, you, you can't kind of, you know, say if the government doesn't say anything, then this is a closed book. What you do do, what you do do, is put pressure on the people in charge to kind of give as much as they're willing to give. But of, of course, they're not going to give, you know, top secret information about anything. Like, you know, it's not going to happen. So let's just get over that and, and celebrate the success that this week has been, an outstanding success. And hopefully this compo mentality in journalism will, uh, you know, kind of be rocket fueled by this it was a bit of a sausage johnson wasn't it yeah so what i mean by a compo a compo in the kind of in the business of journalism a compo is a competitive journalist a, a you know journal yeah compo competitive journal and so hopefully the compos will get out there and you know get their sleeves rolled up and really look at the interesting, I mean, there's, you know, literally tens of thousands of cases of UOPs and UFOs out there, you know what I mean? Every, every other fucker's got a story. Every fucker's got a story. So hopefully we're going to get more, um, you know, media coverage of the stuff that can't easily be explained away, yeah? And hopefully more and more people will look at the evidence with a clear head and open mind and think, well, there might be something in this. You know, there might be something in this. Yeah. See you later.